0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I'd invite you to open your Bibles this morning and turn to Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus... And saw some of the disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating with, the, eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, the people, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd and said to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside. And make a man unclean. Our text this morning is Titus chapter 1 at verse 10 through Titus chapter 2 verse 1. And we'll consider, in fact, the last section of our text from last week as well as the first verse from chapter 2. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, so that they will be sound in the faith, and pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in the very first verse of this letter that Paul wrote to Titus, He lays out the principle that will basically unfold as he writes this letter. And we touched on that a few weeks ago. And you find that in Titus chapter 1, verse 1, where Paul speaks about a knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, Last week, we saw this principle of knowledge of the truth leading to godliness as we considered the qualifications for elders. Elders are those who must have this knowledge of the truth. We read that an elder must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. And all the other qualifications of the elders show that an elder must have that knowledge of a truth And that that knowledge of the truth must lead to godliness in his life. Twice it's mentioned that the elder must be blameless. And in many other ways, that blameless character is highlighted. So that an elder must be one who has a knowledge of the truth that has led him to godliness in all areas of his life. And now this morning, we return to part of our text from last week adding in chapter 2, verse 1. And we return to part of the text for two reasons. The first reason is that in considering the elders, there's so much material there that we didn't really have much time to consider who this group in Crete was and what that meant for, for the church there and, and for Titus and for Paul as he writes this letter. And second, we return to this because Paul's description of this these teachers, this group in Crete and their methods serves as a contrast for what Paul will go on to tell Titus in chapter 2, in which he sums up in chapter 2, verse 1, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. The false teachers were teaching in accord with bad doctrine. They started with bad doctrine, and it worked out into how they lived. Titus, however, is to begin with good doctrine. And that's to work out, work itself out in how he teaches the congregation to live. And so the church should live according to sound doctrine. The church should live according to sound doctrine. Doctrine is important. Very important, as Paul lays out in this letter. It's important for two reasons, which are quite simple. First of all, bad doctrine leads to destructive living. It's destructive for the church and for her members. And secondly, doctrine, sound doctrine is important because good doctrine, healthy doctrine, leads to godliness. Healthy doctrine leads to a healthy, godly lifestyle. So the church should live according to sound doctrine. First of all, because bad doctrine is bad news. It leads to destructive living. It's clear, as we've already mentioned in those verses in chapter 1 that are in our text, that there were some people running around Crete, and in fact involved with the church there, who didn't teach either sound doctrine or godly living. In verse 10, Paul says, There are many rebellious teachers, mere talkers, and deceivers. And you might think, okay, he's talking generally about people in this world. There's lots of people like this. But then he says, especially those of the circumcision group. So Paul's talking about a group within the church. Well, who who are these people? What is with this group? Well, we really don't know much about this group in Crete. What we know basically is in our text in front of us this morning. It seems that this group was Jewish converts to Christianity. So they had come out of Judaism like much of the church, and they had come to the Christian church. But as they came to the Christian church, they seemed to want to hold on to some of their distinctives of their Jewish past. It seems they wanted to hold on to circumcision. Paul calls them the circumcision group. They held on to these Jewish myths. We don't know much about these myths, but something about these histories of the jews that paul calls myths and in T- timothy he calls them genealogies were something about them that, that captured their minds they wanted to hang on to those and they wanted to hang on to human commandments the commandments of those who reject the truth as paul mentions in verse 14 and we read already this morning of some of those human commandments. Our Lord Jesus in Mark seven talks about the human commandments that the Pharisees held on to. They weren't commandments that were given in God's law. They were commandments that were added to God's law. And in fact, Judaism was characterized by this extra level of commandments. And so these Christians and or these Jews in becoming Christians they wanted to hang on to all these extra commandments that they had come to love as they were Jews. With all of this, they were denying the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many other letters of Paul show how these things deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can read the book of Galatians, for example. Read the book of Romans. There Paul lays out how hanging on to Jewish traditions, hanging on to circumcision... Hanging on to to these traditions taught by men is a denial of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you become a Christian, in other words, everything changes and you've got to let go of those false doctrines. They become false with Christ Jesus. But they were not only denying the gospel of Jesus Christ, they were causing destruction upon themselves. And not only destruction on themselves, they were wreaking havoc throughout the church. They were destroying whole households as they spread their false doctrine. And so this morning, we take our warning from what Paul says about these teachers in Crete, Because false doctrine... Was not only a problem of the early church, and it certainly was a problem of the early church. And false doctrine wasn't only a problem of the church in the middle ages, although it certainly was a problem of the middle ages. And false doctrine only isn't only the church of, uh, only, only a problem of the church, the modern church, but false doctrine has always been there. It's always been a temptation for God's people. And so we need to hear the warning from God's word this morning. And this text is useful. It's instructive in showing us some of the characteristics of bad doctrine, three characteristics of bad doctrine. The first characteristic of bad doctrine that we see from our text this morning is that bad doctrine is often leveraged by those who have already given themselves over to sinful desires, Bad doctrine is often leveraged by those who have already given themselves over to sinful desires. In verse 11, Paul says that these false teachers are teaching what they ought not to for the sake of dishonest gain. So they've they've come to the game, they've come to the party with a desire for money, they're greedy, and this false doctrine allows them To feed their own greed. It fits with the sinful desire that already lives in their hearts. So greed can be leveraged by false doctrine. And in in the letters to Timothy, the Apostle Paul speaks about other problems that some false teachers have. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 6, he speaks about the kind of men who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women. These men are always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth, he says there. So they're, they're full of evil desires, perverse sexual desires in that case, and they leverage bad doctrine in order to be able to fulfill those bad desires, those false desires. And you don't have to go very far in church history. You don't have to imagine too, too long or to think too long in order to see this working out in the world around us. Perhaps you remember the very famous, well-publicized televangelist scandals of the 1980s. These televangelists who went on TV were incredibly famous, also incredibly rich, and then had incredible falls from grace as their, their sexual desires and their greed were exposed through the financial fraud that they were carrying on and also through the extramarital affairs that they are carrying out through their ministry. Now, along with these desires that were exposed, you may remember the, the doctrine that these televangelists taught. It was the health and wealth gospel. They went on TV and they told people, if you give us your money, then God will bless you. They came to the table with desire to get rich. They found a theology that fit that, and they leveraged it in order to earn themselves millions of dollars until, of course, they were found out. And so we need to be aware, brothers and sisters, of this tendency of false teachers to use bad doctrines to manipulate God's people. But we would be wrong if we suggested that it's only over there, it's only other people who are able to do this. It's only the the multi-millionaires, the people who become really rich or who commit really bad sins, who do this. No, we're all capable of leveraging bad doctrine to fulfill our sinful desires. What are we talking about here? Well, we may not all seek to be multimillionaires, but greed can easily make us make little adjustments to our doctrine of the Sabbath so that God will allow us to work seven days a week and maybe take an hour off to worship him on Sunday. Or we can leverage our greed in order to make little changes into what God commands regarding giving and tithing and helping our neighbor out. We'll hear more about that this afternoon. And along with making that change, we can hoard all that God gives to us for the sake of our own greed. And there are other ways, other areas of our lives that we can do this as well. If you want out of your marriage, you don't have to do much, change a little doctrine, and all of a sudden God not only condones divorce but he actually encourages it for people who don't feel happy in their marriage. Or what about if you have if you have a desire to be sexually active apart from marriage altogether, not getting married, but wanting to be sexually active? Well, you adjust your theology a little bit, and you especially emphasize that no one's perfect, so no one can judge. It only takes a small change in your doctrine to be able to leverage it for sinful desires. And that leveraging was exactly what was going on in Crete with the false teachers. Bad doctrine becomes a tool, a deadly tool, in the hands of those who have already given themselves over to sinful desires. We also learn from these verses here that bad doctrine corrupts. Bad doctrine corrupts the mind and the conscience. Someone may adopt a false doctrine because it appeals to them for some reason. But after adopting that false doctrine, then they they travel down this road. It corrupts their minds and their consciences more. And this is clear, of course, from Titus 1. Paul says, in fact, that the minds and consciences of these teachers in Crete have become corrupt in verse 15. Both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny and they're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good. They've latched on to this message that distorts the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that has caused them more and more to be able to, to be unable to associate or identify with what's pure. In latching on to something apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, they can no longer distinguish between what's pure and what's not pure. There's an example of this that I remember reading in an article many years ago when the the sex abuse uh, cases in the Roman Catholic Church were just coming to light. And this article examined three priests. I couldn't find it back, but I recall that it was three priests, and I think it was in Boston or somewhere like that. And it was troubling to learn about these three different priests. The first two were very troubling, but but not the most troubling. The first priest was, was a pedophile who had basically used the priesthood as a way to get to his victims, which is terrible there was another priest who had started in the priesthood with good intentions to help people, but had had fall, had fallen into this downward spiral of pornography and gambling, and that had led to his sinful lifestyle. But the most troubling of the three weren't those two. The most troubling was the priest who had concocted in his mind this theology of good works, That allowed him to not see much wrong with his sin of abusing boys in his church. Sure, he reasoned it's wrong, but I'm an otherwise good priest. Uh, I'm faithful in my duties. I'm well known for caring for the poor. I'm a great preacher, etc., etc., etc. He could list off all the ways that he was a great priest. And so his pile of good works was far greater in his mind than his little pile of bad things. And so the bad things that he was doing weren't that bad after all because they paled in comparison to all the good that he was doing. In short, his bad doctrine had corrupted his mind and his conscience with devastating results. Now we can acknowledge, of course, that this is terrible. But we also ought to acknowledge that Reformed doctrines have also been twisted so as to warp the minds and consciences as some. For example, hasn't the doctrine of total depravity, the doctrine of total depravity which teaches us that we are conceived and born in sin, hasn't that been misunderstood and abused to give license to all kinds of sins? Oh yeah, I've done that, but hey, I'm a sinner. I'm totally depraved, just like everyone else, right? And here too, we can fall into this sin easily when you latch onto a system that is not consistent with the message of Jesus Christ. It's so easy to continue in that system without realizing that your mind and your conscience are becoming more and more corrupted. You can parent by a system of shame and guilt. Shame and guilt, both on yourself and your children, rather than a system that accords with grace. You can build relationships on manipulation and on on one-upmanship, getting what you need from them and what you want from them, rather than building relationships on love, considering what you can give to others. You can perform all the motions of religion without having faith, without trusting God with your life. You can do all these things without realizing that you're doing anything wrong. Bad doctrine corrupts the mind and the conscience. If you fall into a system of false beliefs, then you never know where your actions will end up as a result. If you unmoor a boat from its anchor, then it's free to float wherever the wind and the waves will push it. Bad doctrine corrupts the mind and the conscience. And finally, bad doctrine leaves out the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bad doctrine leaves out or distorts the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is crucial. At at the bottom, whatever else we must believe, we must hold on to the truth of what God has accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. If that is our anchor then we will never stray too far. These false teachers in Crete, they were destroying whole households. And as Paul says in the devastating critique that comes in verse 6, they deny God by their actions, they're detestable, they're disobedient, and they're unfit for doing anything good. Consider that. Unfit for doing anything good. Now, these were people by by the little that we can tell probably had a whole system of morality who, according to outside appearances, just like the Pharisees, were doing lots of stuff. Good. Their lives in many ways probably conformed to that of the Christian's. And we see this today as well. We all know people who who believe a system that's not the true Christian faith, whether it's Roman Catholics or Mormons or Muslims or atheists who don't rely on the finished work of Jesus Christ completely and totally. They don't believe in Jesus Christ with their whole life, and yet it looks like their life conforms to that of a Christian better than some of the Christians that you know. Are those people really unfit for any good? Can they do no good at all? What are we to believe about their bad doctrine, which they hold on to? Well, good doctrine teaches us that godly living involves not only outward conformity to a certain standard, it results in outward conformity to a certain standard, but But godliness, true godliness, comes from a motivation of of thankfulness and love for God. True godliness comes from the salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ. And also, true godliness is to be offered to God as a sacrifice of praise. Everything that the Christian does, rooted in Jesus Christ, is an act of worship to the one true God. And so if you're not rooted in Jesus Christ and you're not worshiping the one true God. Then everything that you're doing is false worship. Comes from the wrong motivations and it's not directed to the God who is worthy of all of your praise, glory and honor. So this is a warning to us as well. We can't simply become experts in what a godly lifestyle looks like. We have to become experts in where godliness comes from. We have to become experts in Jesus Christ and and what he's done in his death and resurrection for us. And we need to become experts in where godliness goes to. We need to know and be aware and live out that all that we do is worship to the one true God. Godly living has Jesus Christ as its source and its goal. If Jesus Christ is not part of the equation... And the whole thing, the whole system, no matter how nice it looks from the outside, is corrupted. We need to watch this, brothers and sisters. For Christians, this is called legalism. And it's a dangerous trap for us. It's having an appearance of godliness, but not being rooted in Jesus Christ. And not doing all in worship of God, our Father. In summary, bad doctrine leads to destructive living. It's leveraged by those with bad desires. It corrupts the mind and the conscience. And the whole system falls apart because it's not grounded in Jesus Christ and not given for worship of Jesus Christ our Lord. We need to hold on to good doctrine, healthy doctrine, because healthy doctrine leads to godly living, as Paul laid out in that verse 1. The knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Now, perhaps after hearing about all these false doctrines and how sneaky they can be, you're asking yourself, well, what's the point? If, if bad doctrine is so pervasive that it seems to affect everyone, even the most well-meaning Christians are capable of falling into its grip, then what hope do we have? Well, it is true that we need to be on our guard against bad doctrine. It's tempting and it's destructive. But it doesn't mean that we have no hope. If if we had no hope against bad doctrine, then Paul wouldn't have written this letter to Titus. He wouldn't have had Titus read it to the church. In fact, Paul wouldn't have written any of his letters. In fact, if we didn't have hope of guarding ourselves against false doctrine, then God wouldn't have revealed himself to us in his word. God has revealed himself to us in his word. He has given us his word to teach us what is right. And so if we have any hope, brothers and sisters, of knowing the truth and of living it out, we must live with God's word. God's word is the source of right doctrine, which itself is the source of godly living. You can think of Titus 1 verse 9 about the elders An elder must be one who firmly holds firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Or you can think of our the theme text that we have this year for home visits. Have you considered that text in in this connection as well? The scriptures, Paul says there in 2 Timothy 3, are able... To make you wise. They are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God breathed and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The word of God teaches us, can teach us, will teach us right doctrine. The word of God must be our source for doctrine. It must be our guide For our doctrine, and it must be our correction when we stray from the path of believing what is true. It's interesting that in verse, in chapter two, verse one, Paul writes that Titus is to teach what is in accord with, and what he literally says there is healthy doctrine. Now, healthy and sound mean the same thing: wholesome, good, healthy, sound, robust. But it's interesting that he used the word for healthy, which in most other places in the New Testament is used to speak about people. Sick people versus healthy people. And so he teaches us something about sound doctrine there when he uses that word healthy doctrine. It's healthy because it leads to an understanding of God our maker and how he's made the whole world. It's healthy, it's full, it's it's full of life because it leads us to appreciate that God is the source of our life and that Jesus Christ is the savior of lives. It leads us to appreciate the world which God has made and it leads us to find true and eternal life through Jesus Christ. Healthy uh, the word of God teaches us healthy doctrine. It leads us to affirm God's creation and God's salvation for us. So healthy doctrine accords with, with how God has made things good in this world and who God is as the good maker of all things in this world. And so it stands opposed to sick doctrine. Sick doctrine doesn't acknowledge God. It doesn't come from God. It doesn't glorify God. It doesn't nourish life. It it saps the energy from life. It takes the joy out of life. It doesn't affirm life. It denies it. A good doctrine is robust. It's life-giving. It pumps joy and hope and happiness into those who lay hold of it. It lays out the way of healthy living, not Not just the way of healthy living according to the body in a physical sense, but healthy living in a, in a full way, body, soul and spirit, how to live a healthy human life in the image of God as God has created us to be. That's what the word of God lays out for us. Now what in particular this godly lifestyle looks like, we'll consider in the verses that come later in chapter 2, in this letter from Paul. For now, though, brothers and sisters, let us commit ourselves to holding on to what is good, to being rooted in Jesus Christ and living this healthy life in worship of God. And so committing ourselves to grow in God's word today and every day of our lives moving forward. Amen.